Welcome to Because It Is, a conversation about faith, justice, and other things that matter. This podcast is hosted by Second Baptist Downtown in Little Rock, Arkansas. Second Baptist is a vibrant, historic downtown congregation whose faith compels us to seek justice, care for the oppressed, and pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. We are a unique Baptist church that prioritizes diversity and inclusion for all. In this episode, Preston talks with Arkansas State Senator Clark Tucker and State Representative Frederick Love about the redistricting legislation being passed at both the state and federal level and its disparate racial impact. Senator Tucker is a practicing attorney specializing in litigation. He was elected this year to the state Senate. Representative Love is the Director of Community Services for Pulaski County and is serving his sixth term as state representative. This is sure to be an informative and insightful listen. Hi everyone, welcome to Because It Is. In this episode, we want to talk about something that is a very pressing issue in the state of Arkansas, which is uh, the redistricting uh, and gerrymandering legislation that uh, just made it through the um, Arkansas legislature. Um, Second Baptist is a church that cares about the public arena. We care about justice and equity for all people, and we are a church that has said we want to strive for racial justice, um, not just in interpersonal ways, but in uh, public and policy ways. And this legislation uh, demands a word about that. And so in this episode, we really want to educate you as our listeners. uh, And I'm certainly a part of that. I'm here to learn about the legislation to think about the ramifications of it, to think about what justice might look like in this regard. Uh, And I hope that you'll listen with an open mind and an open heart. To guide us in this discussion, uh, I've asked two state legislators uh, whom I've respected for a long time. Uh, Their work speaks for itself and uh, I respect the wisdom that they have to share on this topic. Uh, Representative Fred Love of District 29, which is at least partially uh, comprised of Pulaski County, uh, is here. Uh, Representative Love, I've appreciated your work for a long time, and um, I feel like we should have been friends a long time ago, uh, but I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast, and welcome. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm glad we're friends now. Absolutely, absolutely. And Senator Clark Tucker, uh, we have been friends for a while through uh, joint work with the JCA, Just Communities of Arkansas and other partnerships. Uh, Senator Tucker's District uh, 34 is also comprised uh, largely of Pulaski County. And um, because of that, both of these districts were impacted by the legislation um, that was just passed. Uh, So, Senator Tucker, just like Representative Love, we appreciate your work and the virtues that drive you, and we welcome you to the podcast. Well, that feeling of respect and and gratitude is mutual because I sure am am grateful for the work you you do as well, Pastor, and just really excited to be here as part of this podcast today. Thanks. So let's dig right in. Um, Why is redistricting necessary? 
And how often do we do it? Can we just start like at a kindergarten level, why we redistrict and how we redistrict? Sure, we can, we can do that. So redistricting one-on-one, uh, as you know, every 10 years we have a census. And what we do through redistricting is really a, a portion, reapportion uh, the populace so that um, pretty much it's kind of like uh, everyone or every representative will have the same number or close to the same number of persons to represent. Every senator will have the same number of, portion, uh, of persons to represent. And so you really, we're just reapportioning the public so that everybody will have uh, pretty much equally the same number of people to represent. And so that's, that's what we do every 10 years. Really, the underlying principle here is one person, one vote. Yes. So you need to make sure if, if one member of Congress represents 10,000 people and one member of Congress represents a million people, then, then the people uh, that are in the district of a million have less of a voice than the people in the district of 10,000. So we have to make sure that each, each legislator, whether it's a member of Congress or a state legislator uh, in an individual state represents about the same number of people. And, and the way that we do that is every 10 years, we find out where the people are through the census, as Representative Love mentioned. And then we, we reapportion uh, the, you know, the districts and, and reshape the districts so that there is one person, one vote. Uh, the other sort of redistricting one-on-one piece that I would mention that's specific to Arkansas is that in most states, the state legislature does the redistricting both for the United States congressional districts and for the state legislature. So in a lot of states, the state legislature is drawing their own districts, which I think it's problematic and we can get into this later for any politicians to be drawing these districts. I think there's a better way, but I think there's definitely a conflict when state legislators are drawing their own districts. And uh, in Arkansas, the, the people who crafted the state constitution saw that conflict as well. And so they vested the power of redistricting the state legislative districts into what's in Arkansas called the board of apportionment. And that consists of the governor, the attorney general, and the secretary of state. So that group of individuals uh, puts together all, all of our 100 state house districts and all 35 of our state senate districts and the state legislature draws our our four congressional districts every 10 years so um when when redistricting and reapportionment is done rightly uh, what are the governing principles of that other than one person one vote that's obviously um key to this, um, a matter of justice and equity, you want each person to have an equal say uh, in this in this state. Uh, other than that, are there any other governing principles that would lead towards uh, a just and equitable uh, reapportionment? I think I think that there are a couple and Clark, you can you can I know that Clark may follow this more than I do, but um, one of the things is you try to keep you try to keep communities of interest together, and that's that's kind of uh, you know when when we look at this year's of um, um, redistricting that was probably one of the main things that kind of stuck out is whenever you try whenever you you do redistricting and and we can get into kind of the nuances because 
there have been counties that have been split, not three ways, but they have been split. But you try to keep communities of interest together. Mm -hmm. uh, you try not to um, have a, a, a uh, dilute the, the, um, the voting strength of, of any particular group, you know, different things like this. And Clark, can you, can you kind of comment on a, a couple of others that, that we try, we try sure. not to do? Yeah. For me personally, Fred hit on the, on the most important one after one person, one vote, which is preserving communities of interest. But some of the other ones that the courts have identified are compactness. So you don't have the district drawn in a real funny shape all over the place contiguity, which makes sense for the same reason. Another one is to keep political subdivisions together, which Fred sort of got to as well, not dividing cities, not dividing counties, that sort of thing. If you can keep cities and counties whole, that's also important. Another one is uh, preservation of cores of previous districts. So even if you keep Pulaski County whole, for example, if Pulaski right now is paired with Selene Faulkner, Conway, White, Van Buren counties, uh, then it, even if you keep Pulaski whole, but now it's paired with, you know, Lone Oak, Craighead, Phillips, whatever, it's, the district is totally different and the core of the district is not preserved. And then another criteria that the criterion that the courts have listed is avoiding pairing incumbents. Um, so, you know, if you're pairing a bunch of incumbents up against each other, that can be problematic. And then, and I know we're going to get into this discussion as well, but, uh, you know, race is, is absolutely a factor as well. Uh, the courts have basically said uh, you, race should not be the only factor, but also you should not ignore it either. Um, you really do need to, to look at race. And uh, if, you can, if you can draw a district where the majority of the voting age population is a minority, then you ought to make an effort to do that. Uh, because you can dilute minority voting power by by what's there's a term called when it comes to race the terms are packing and cracking so you can crack uh, minority voters to the point where you could have several districts next to each other where there's a number of minority voters but not enough in any one district to get to 50 plus one 50 percent plus one uh, and and you if you can get to a, a majority minority district, which is the term for it, then you ought to do that. And that's to make sure that the minority voting population has a voice in whatever the legislative body is that, that they're electing those representatives to. That, that uh, seems fairly obvious. And then the other thing that you also, also should avoid is packing. So mm -hmm. let's say you have a, you could have two districts next to each other where they're 55 to 60% majority minority you could draw the district in a way where you only have one majority minority district and it's 85 or 90% instead of having two 60% districts next to each other. And that's, you're, you're ultimately, again, diluting the voice of minority voters by only creating one district instead of two in, in that hypothetical scenario. So that's why you want to avoid packing um, and then, and then cracking as I mentioned. So, so we've talked just convictionally about what redistricting can and should and should not look like. Uh, let's get more specific about the the piece of legislation that was just passed in Arkansas. What what made that redistricting um, so concerning and uh, dare I say egregiously concerning? 
You ready to go see a car? Okay. So, you know, we all recognize, and even the courts recognize, just the reality of the fact that there are political interests at stake when, especially when you have politicians drawing legislative districts, which again is why I think we should have a different and better way of doing it. So there's going to be some political motives there no matter what. And we all recognize and understand that. And the second congressional district, which is the district that includes central Arkansas, um, and that's the district that I just mentioned with Pulaski County, Saline, Faulkner, and the other counties that I mentioned, uh, it's been the congressional district uh, in the last decade that's been most competitive in which Democratic candidates have had the best shot of winning. So we know going in, in and I hate to talk about things in a partisan way like this, but again, it's just part of the reality of the world in which we live in a, in a legislature that's majority Republican, we all expect that they're, that the legislature is going to make the second congressional district less competitive. That I, I really don't, I understand that. It's not ideal. I really don't have that much of a complaint about that because I understand that's just what's going to happen. You know, that's the way a lot of policy is made at the state capitol right now. And that's just the way that it is. The problem that I have uh, is that not only did they draw Pulaski County into three different congressional districts. So we talked about keeping political subdivisions whole. So they split Pulaski County three ways. They also split Little Rock separately into the second and fourth congressional districts and North Little Rock separately into the second and first congressional districts. But essentially the boundaries that they drew were just along racial lines. And that's what I have a major problem with. It's just you know, immoral from my perspective. And I have these numbers that I had when we were doing this, and I'll, I'll go ahead and, and give them again. But the population of Pulaski County that's in the first congressional district is 58% African-American, 34% white, and 4% Hispanic. Obviously, heavily majority minority. In the fourth congressional district, uh, the population in Pulaski County, they got moved to the fourth is 49% African-American, 27% white, and 22% Hispanic. So that's over 70, that's 73% non-white. And the part that was moved in the first was 66% non-white. The part of Pulaski County, and again, so that just tells you right there, without looking at any other numbers, that these boundaries were drawn along racial lines. But I think the comparison is not complete without two other numbers. One of those is the portion of Pulaski County that's remaining in the second congressional district. And that part is 52% white, 34% black, and 7% Hispanic. So uh, you have a majority white population staying in the second congressional district. And then the, the final piece of data is in order to account for the, the population that they moved out of the second congressional district from Pulaski County, they had to move another county in, Cleburne County. <clears throat> Cleburne County is 93% white. And if you look at the 2020 census for Cleburne County, there are 69 black people that live in Cleburne County. Not 69%, 69 people, period. Um, and the other thing that's frustrating about that is that the first district where Cleburne County was lost population. So we needed to draw the district in a way that moved population into the first district and they move that county out of the first district into the second in order to make the district, you know, to do whatever, whatever their motives were. And again, 
you know, I totally understand them making it more Republican. You know, that's to be expected in a process like this. But the racial divisions are what are totally unacceptable to me. Yeah, I mean, when we we say these words often, and I don't think uh, the full weight of them uh, hit us anymore. But when you think about a minority voice and just the disadvantage of being minority in this country, and then you further dilute a minority voice uh, with the way that you draw districts, that just seems to be uh, of moral concern and not just political strategy, right? It is, it is unjust and unfair um, and needs, needs to be addressed. Absolutely. So, so what, what other options were available to the legislature? They, they could have done this differently, it appears. What, what other options were available? Well, I, I think that um, there there were a number of a series of maps that were that were drawn. I know that Clark drew one. I know that that I drew one, um, in which would have accomplished. I mean, fairness. I would say fairness. And and, and let's let's back up and, and say this. And I think Clark did stress this that it's not that we expected that the maps were going to be drawn just like Democrats wanted them. Or, but I mean, it is what it is, but the, the egregiousness was was when they did draw the maps along racial lines. But I mean, to either to even further add injury is that is that the communities of likeness, just not based on race, but when you know they kind of carved up Little Rock and put Little Rock into the fourth congressional district. Those communities of interest, there there is no interest. Um, <laughs> there is no likeness between, you know, Little Rock and the Fourth Congressional District. Not to say that I dislike the people of, of the Fourth Congressional District, but it's just the interests are, are not there. The the right. economic interests are different. Um, just the community as a whole is different. Um, but then when you add that piece of race in there, it just it just kind of it just kind of snowballs. Um, what we could have done was we could have chose a better map. I mean, there this map was not, I mean, the deviations as far as the population deviations, they weren't the best. Um, there were still maps that were better. I mean, even there were even maps that were, were presented by Republicans that were better. I mean, that's right. Um, Stephen Meeks, he had a great map. Um, and his map deviations was great. I mean, I did a map just like Stephen Meeks. Uh, it was a kin of Stephen Meeks map. Uh, and it communities whole, it kept counties whole. And I just, I just think that, you know, we just went the wrong way when we began to really um, put an emphasis on trying to uh, dilute the, the voting power of not just, I mean, you know, people could say that most of the time African-Americans do vote Democratic. And I think, you know, I think that was that that was the strategy here. Mm -hmm. You want to add anything to that, Clark? Yeah, Fred made a great point, which is that there were a number of maps filed, I think about 11 or so, that kept all 75 counties in Arkansas whole. And those maps were filed not only by Democratic members, but Republican ones also. So they, there were plenty of other options available. I guess I'll mention two, two other specific proposals 
one that, that was never filed, but again, looking at the political reality, and I actually visited with some of my Republican colleagues about this. I was like, look, there's no need to, you can make the second congressional district more Republican without punishing not just Pulaski County, but specifically minority populations in Pulaski County by splitting us three ways. You know, you can do this. You know, I gave an example that you could take Saline County out of the second district and replace it with Yale, Pope, and Cleveland counties, all of which are more Republican than Saline County. So you could accomplish the political objective of making Pulaski County more, excuse me, the second congressional district more Republican without targeting minority voting populations. And that's just, there are, you know, a thousand different ways to do it. But that's one example that I came up with just to, just to throw out to them to, to hopefully not, you know, hurt, hurt us in the way that they did. The other thing that I'll mention is when we got in there, um, and I think Representative Love's map did this, but I, I sat down with the map drawers with Senator Elliott. We, we got in and worked, and we confirmed that you can draw in Arkansas right now a majority-minority congressional district. And, you know, it really just takes Pulaski County and, and takes it through the Delta. We, and by we, I mean Arkansas. We are the only state of the former Confederacy that has not elected a minority person to Congress. We have only had white members of Congress for the history of our state. And so we're the only Southern state that has not taken that step of drawing a majority minority congressional district. If you look at our neighbors now, Louisiana, Mississippi, keep going east through Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Texas to the Southeast of us, all have majority minority districts, all have minority members of Congress. Arkansas hasn't been able to, to do that tragically, you know, we could have done it this year um, and we, we failed to do it one more time. So that leads me to the next question. Uh, you just mentioned one, but can you see as you look forward into the future, what are the long-term ramifications of, of this redistricting? Go ahead, Clark. Well, just to pick right up where I left off, it's going to be 10 more years where we do not have a, a minority uh, a minority race sent to D.C. from Arkansas to represent us in Congress, which is just, you know, 10 more years of prolonging our shame as a state in that regard, uh, which is tragic to me. And, you know, I, I, I hate that. And then, you know, we obviously have been talking a lot about race, but we have, through this bill, we have diluted the political power and the voice of the minority populations, um, black and Hispanic populations in Arkansas, but in Pulaski County in particular. And again, you know, that's just immoral from my perspective. And, that, and that's what I, I was gonna, I'll pick up where you left off, Clark. I think when you disenfranchise the people in such a way, especially for 10 years, I think that, that right there just kind of drives a stake through the heart of the community. And so I would, I would, you know, implore that we try to address this and address this swiftly so that we can get on with the business of the people. I, as Clark said, I think there, there was different ways to, to really address what they wanted to. Um, and they, they did, they chose not to. And, and this was, in, this was intentional because 
I actually made, um, I actually spoke against this bill twice on the floor. And uh, the, the thing about it is when you have, when you have discussions of race, they're always, you know, they, if, you, if you're not careful, you can fall into an emotional discussion because there is so much emotion as it re relates to race. I mean, it, it, it's, just, it's just a history and it's a painful history. And, you know, and, and I, I told people, I said, listen, when we have this discussion, we need to put the emotions to the side and think about the impact of this. I never, you know, people, you know, got up on the floor and said, well, you're calling us racist, you're calling us this, you're calling us that. And not one time did I call anybody racist. I just said, hey, listen, let's take a step back, <laughs> let's breathe, and let's really talk about the impact of this legislation. Because it really does damage to a uh, to the African-American populace, the community in Pulaski County, in a way that it's just a grave injustice. And so if, if we don't get this fixed, uh, it could really disenfranchise um, this populace for, for a while and it could be a detrimental effect. Um, and it's just 10 years. And so 10 years is a very long time. Fred hit it on a point that I, I think is worth emphasizing, which is that there's a difference between racist intent and racist impact. And, you know, no one wants to be accused of, of being racist, obviously. But uh, regardless of what any, and I, I don't want to sit here and accuse any, any member of the legislature of having racist intent, because I don't know what's going on in their heart or in their head or whatever the case may be. My guess is pretty much all of them don't probably have racist intent in their head. But there's no question about the impact of this. And that's the distinction. And I know, I know Fred made this point in the House, and I, and I did in the Senate, and I'm, I serve on state agencies, which is the committee that these bills run through. And I said, look, I'm going to make sure that those numbers I read off about the, the populations of Blasey County, I wanted to make sure that my colleagues on state agencies and on the Senate floor knew those numbers, because while they may not have had the intent of doing that, I wanted to make sure everyone was crystal clear on the impact of what was about to happen. Right. Yes. That's a great point. Uh, disparate impact uh, is is real and true, and that's that's what is most tactile about legislation is the impact, uh, regardless of motivations and intents. Um, and may the day come where our legislators are accused of having anti-racist motives, right? Like, may that day come soon. Preach, Pastor. Preach. Uh, <laughs> now y'all got me fired up. Um, <laughs> Representative Love, you you said just a few minutes ago uh, this needs some swift action. A at this point, to our listeners, if if they want to take action in this regard, what what options are before us? How how can we take action in this regard? So, um, you know, um, I'll let since, since Clark is an attorney, I'll let him talk about the the judicial action that that could possibly take place. Um, as far as is the action that I've heard is that. Uh, people want to file, they want to place this on the ballot, on the November ballot to actually um, reverse this action. The, the people have the, this is what Fred was referencing, the people have the ability to repeal that law at the ballot the next year. And so right now there's an effort underway. You have to get the issue on the ballot the same way you have an initiated act on the ballot. 
by gathering signatures from a certain number of counties and meeting all these criteria, getting approved by now the Secretary of State's office to get the issue on the ballot. But I know people are working right now to gather signatures to get that issue on the ballot next year to repeal this law that creates the, the congressional districts that the legislature created. So participating in that grassroots movement to peel that law back is one option for sure. Second option, which Fred referenced is you can, any citizen of Arkansas can also file a lawsuit challenging uh, the, the legality of this law, both from a constitutional perspective, and that's a, a U.S. constitution and a state constitutional perspective, but also from a statutory perspective. For example, the Voting Rights Act. You can, you can make an allegation that this law violates the Voting Rights Act and, and, and file a lawsuit based on that. So, you know, I'll just say I don't want to raise hopes. Those, those lawsuits are going to be tough. They're, they're going to be challenging for sure. Uh, but it's, it's worth um, undertaking them and, and making the effort to strike the law down because it is that bad in the, in the way that it divides us on race. Uh, not to say that it's impossible, but, but those lawsuits are just hard. They're challenging. Um, another, th another thing that I'll mention, we've focused you know, a lot in this podcast on the congressional uh, redistricting. But right now, we're in the 30-day comment period for the state legislative districts. Those were proposed by the Board of Apportionment, the Governor, the Attorney General, and the Secretary of State at the end of October. I think October 29th, I may have that day wrong. But at that point, there's a 30-day comment period on the proposed state legislative districts. So you can go to, uh, I'm going to confirm this, but I think it's ArkansasRedistricting.org. That's right. It's ArkansasRedistricting.org. Look at the proposed maps and you can leave a public comment for the governor, the attorney general, the secretary of state and their staffs about the state legislative districts and whether your community of interest is kept whole or if neighborhoods are divided or, or other suggestions that you may have. So those are those are really the three things from my perspective that we can do the uh, the repeal of the law on a grassroots effort, the litigation, and then the public comments on the state legislative districts. And do you do you have a place where we can go if we're interested in more information on the the repealing of that law and the signatures? Is there a place we can go to to sign or to find more information out about that? I don't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't have that information, but we definitely can get it get it for you. I, I know who's working on it, but I don't know that they have a website set up, you know, or anything like that. I just don't know. Okay. I may not be to that point yet. Yeah. I guess let's, let's zoom out to tie this up a little bit. Um, even outside of the state of Arkansas, uh, gerrymandering and districts of all types are, they frequent our political discourse. And I, you know, as a minister, I try real, real hard uh, to speak at a level above partisan politics. Uh, it's increasingly difficult uh, these days because uh, morality and politics are so intertwined. Um, however, it seems to me that the the a just process is something that all people of goodwill should be able to speak into. 
when when you look not just in this one particular instance in Arkansas, but around the country, what what concerns you about gerrymandering and these this sort of districting uh, redistricting legislation that you see all over the place? Can I, can I um, let, let me let me just kick it off by saying uh, uh, in all instances, gerrymandering is not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Clark gave a good example of of gerrymandering as far as if you could draw a minor, uh, a minority majority district, that can be good in, in regards to actually uh, um, providing people with an avenue to have a voice in, in the process and in in, in, uh, in the political process. And so I think you know when, when we when we say gerrymandering, we 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 must be careful because. You know, gerrymandering for the sake of actually providing a voice, uh, keeping a community together, different things like that. I think gerrymandering can be good. Mm-hmm. I think that it can be used as a tool, just like anything else, to to actually um, disenfranchise. It can be used as a tool to actually keep a a, a party in power. Um, and I think that's that's the gerrymandering that you hear that people get so uh, frustrated with because it's like they feel like their voice is not being heard. And so it has disenfranchised uh, uh, people for, it's been used to disenfranchise people. And so I think that, um, I think when we start talking about gerrymandering, we, we have to be careful in, yeah. in that, in that respect. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't like talking in partisan terms either. You know, and I'll say that even as a politician, you know, but just to make it nonpartisan or bipartisan, if we're, we're taking a step back, um, Preston, Democrats have engaged in just as much gerrymandering over the years as Republicans. So it's it's not like any party has their hands clean on this point. But, you know, to me, it goes back to the underlying principle that we're trying to accomplish here of one person, one vote. And. If you look at a state from a big picture perspective and a state is, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on Democrats for a second. If a state is 60% Democratic and 40% Republican, then, you know, this, I'm just speaking broadly and generally, 40% of the state legislative seats in that state ought to be Republican. But you can gerrymander the districts in a way where only 25% of the state legislative seats in that state are Republican. And in that case, the Republicans in that state are underrepresented through an unjust process. And that's that's wrong. And so what I think Fred is referencing is if you can use this process to make sure, like for example, in Arkansas, we have about 15% African-American population. Well, if you're using the district drawing process to make sure that at least 15% of the seats are going to be drawn in districts that are majority African-American, you know, that's a positive. If you're doing using the process to draw the districts in a way where 3% of the districts are majority African-American, that's unjust is not right, not strong enough. That's immoral and, and, and evil, you know? So um, that's, you know, just kind of taking a step back and looking at, at the process. The districts should be drawn in a way where in a state they reflect you know, the population of that state um, in terms of uh, ideology, in terms of race, you know, religion, whatever the case may be. You know, obviously, 
gender as well, although you you know think that that's going to be fairly evenly spread across the board, but not to leave that out. So anyway. I have a friend who uh, said a few weeks ago, his concern was when democracy works right, people choose their, or voters choose their legislators, and something feels off when it feels more like legislators are choosing their voters. And uh, when, um, when democracy works right, um, to your point, Representative Love, I mean, gerrymandering is a, is a necessity to some degree when it comes to redistricting. Um, I think the, the deepest question for us all to wrestle with is what are the prevailing motives uh, behind what we're trying to do? Um, I appreciate both of you and the, the work that you do, not just uh, on this one issue or in this one podcast, but your concern for the common good uh, and for all people that you serve. I, I commend you uh, for that. And uh, to our listeners, I pray that we all will be the sort of people that care for the well-being of all people, uh, that care for the uh, equity and equality and justice for all people. And in our form of government, part of what that means is assuring that every voice is heard and that the voices of communities are heard. Uh, and I, I am gravely concerned about this uh, redistricting, and I hope that we can learn all the lessons there are for us to learn uh, out of it. Um, check your show notes for some action items. Uh, we might uh, be able to ask you to sign um, the repeal document. And um, I hope that you'll continue to study this and think about this and take whatever action you see fit. Uh, but thanks to both of you for your wisdom and your input. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to Because It Is. These are just some of the things that matter to us at Second Baptist Church downtown. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit us online at 2BCLR.com. That's the number 2BCLR.com. And like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Brittany Stilwell and edited by Randy Schoenig with Fresh Air Media.